This week in KMA Land, Red Oak officials seek tax credit for housing project. Nebraska City City Council holds second reading of franchise fee hike. Special election set on Pottawatomie County Supervisors Districts. Fremont County Board hears home base Iowa pitch. Montgomery County Assessors explain new senior tax credit and an update on which pools are open and not open in KMA Land. I'm Mike Peterson. Red Oak officials took a big step toward a proposed housing development in the community this week. Meeting in regular session Monday night, the Red Oak City Council unanimously approved a resolution in support of the Workforce Housing Tax Credit benefit application intended for submission by Studio One townhomes to the Iowa Economic Development Authority. The application asked for up to a million dollars in tax credits. Studio One townhomes representatives Ryan Funk and Ryan Edmeyer formally proposed the project to the council late last month, including the development of 33 townhouses in phase one of the project. Project located west of the Woodland Hills subdivision at 2nd at Ratliff Road in northern Red Oak. As part of the application, Red Oak Mayor Shauna Silvius says the city intends to pledge a matching amount of $1,200 per dwelling or up to $1.2 million to install the necessary infrastructure. To provide city public infrastructure, streets, water, sanitary sewers, stormwater, sidewalk, and more as an essential corporate purpose under Iowa Code Chapter 38 or I'm sorry, 384.24, and I added another paragraph, whereas the city will hold a public hearing for a general obligation financing for the Studio One townhome projects, and then the city would proceed with the general obligation bond issue for said city public infrastructure with approval of the city council. Chip Schultz with Northland Securities recently advised the council that due to the city's general obligation debt dropping off in the upcoming fiscal years, they could finance the infrastructure for the housing project without spiking the city's debt service levy. Sylvia says the city will communicate with the developers to ensure they receive the necessary documentation to the project regarding potential tax credits. Studio One townhomes will conduct project compliance monitoring and share adequate documentation to the city of Red Oak. So we won't be monitoring this grant, they will, but they will provide us the documentation we need for auditing purposes. Sylvius adds she did run the resolution by City Attorney Bree Sorensen, who is comfortable with the language. However, Red Oak resident Larry Branstetter advised city officials to ensure strong communication between them and the developers so they don't overinvest in the project if the proposed number of homes trickles slower than anticipated. The city goes about thinking, okay, we're going to put in 800 feet of streets and sewer and water for 36. And then the company says, you know, we're building 10, which is a good business decision. And then when those are filled, we'll build another 10, and then we'll build another 10, and then six, something like that. But what happens if they only come up and say, you know, we've found that we can build 25, 20 or 25, and the market just isn't there for the rest of them. And all of a sudden, the city has built out for the entire 36. But Councilman Brian Bill says the developers have assured them they intend to move forward with the 33 proposed units in the first phase. We have seen drawings of what they intend to do with that, and they have assured us that, that they are going to build out the 33, I think it's 33 units. In phase one. In phase one. And there are 30, I think there are 36 more in phase two planned. It, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the plan. But we're only going to do infrastructure, and they're only going to build the first 33 on phase one. But but I mean, I mean it's already done, and we have seen plans. We know what's going. We you know it's going to be going to be nice. 
At a previous meeting, Funk said the market-rate housing project is estimated at around $5.8 million. Silvius adds a public hearing is set for the city's Planning and Zoning Commission June 14th at 9.30 a.m. to rezone the property from R2 to R3 or multifamily. Like Shenandoah, a proposed rate increase is a hot topic of discussion in Nebraska City. At its regular meeting Monday evening, the Nebraska City City Council held the second reading of an ordinance amendment raising the city's electric and gas utilities fees by one and a quarter percent. City officials proposed the fee hike to cover infrastructure installation costs for the proposed Kreifels Hills subdivision. Nebraska City Mayor Brian Beckett says residents and attendants expressed mixed emotions over the proposed fee hikes, but generally understand why the city proposes that. In general, most everybody that spoke understands Nebraska City has a, a large need, like a lot of rural communities, for modern increased housing. Um, that's just not the argument. The argument is how we pay for the development and one of the issues, which is the camp that I used to be in, why is the city getting involved in this when uh, if there's a need, normally someone from the private sector will come forward and meet that need. But uh, right now with the cost of development, developers just aren't taking all that risk unless they're getting some assistance or some help. One of the questions asked by residents is whether the city considered other alternatives to the franchise fee hike. Uh, Beckett says one alternative next was a property tax increase. We're looking at about a $2 million bond, so the amount that we would need each year to pay the uh, principal and interest on that to service that bond over 20 years would be about 150 to 155000 So that would mean that we would have to look at increasing our property tax. That would be, for Nebraska City, 3 to $0.04 cents more on the levy, on the mill rate, which we're now at 31, so we'd have to go up 3 or $0.04 cents if we covered it with just property tax. But we were looking at a way to kind of expand it and to not increase our property tax. Likewise, Beckett says tax increment financing was not an option. A project of this magnitude, we really didn't want to postpone the increase of property tax valuation by tying up that $2 million bond in a 15-year TIF, which would mean that the increased amount of property tax would go to paying off that bond instead of going to uh, those taxable entities, schools, Southeast Community College, and those other folks that could could use an increase in valuation to help with their operational budget. Beckett adds the city also wanted to avoid using money from its general and reserve funds. A third and final reading of the proposed fee hike is expected at the council's next regular meeting June 19th. Pottawatomie County residents go to the polls later this summer to decide how their supervisors are elected. At its regular meeting Tuesday morning, the county's Board of Supervisors unanimously approved a resolution setting the countywide special election for August 1st. The move comes after the Western Iowa Labor Federation and concerned citizens of Pottawatomie County gathered nearly 4,000 signatures and submitted a petition to allow county residents to choose between three options for county supervisors' elections. Currently, all five board members are elected at large, compared to Plan 2, which would still have at-large voting, but require the supervisors to reside at a particular district. There's also Plan 3, which would have voters in each district electing their own representative. County Attorney Matt Wilbur says if Plan 2 or 3 are passed, it would divide the county into five districts of 18,000 to 19,000 residents. Yeah, equal populations, compact districts, you can't have weird-looking submarine just I mean, you got to keep them roughly square, you know, the best you can. Height width is supposed to be about equal. They have to be contiguous uh, to each other. Iowa's laws are pretty clear that trying to avoid gerrymandering of districts 
Um, and so that's sort of just how that has to go. Based on an initial GIS-generated map utilizing 2020 census figures, Wilbur says Council Bluffs would likely need to be split up into four districts due to accounting for a large number of the county's population, with one large district covering much of the rural parts of the county. Council Bluffs population is a little north of 60,000, and so Council Bluffs would have to be divided into four districts. They try to keep those roughly equal population. Carter Lake would have to be attached to one of those because you can't have it. It has to be something that it's borders. And so if you add Carter Lake and Council Bluffs, I think you're probably close to 70,000 people in that you know vicinity. So that, that just sort of roughly tells you um, you know, how your districts are going to be. However, he adds no map will be official until a temporary redistricting commission with the Republican majority appointed by the all-GOP Board of Supervisors and Democratic minority appointed by the county party line develop their own maps. County Auditor Melvin Hauser says early voting starts July 12th and runs up to the Monday before the election, and voters can already begin requesting absentee ballots. He adds they'll attempt to open all polling locations, but finding the necessary amount of poll workers to do so could be challenging. In August, there's a lot of uh, state, uh, a lot of fairs, there's a lot of vacations, so Jody's struggling finding a uh, poll workers, so we may have to combine some uh, polling sites, but we'll know that whenever we find out who, who's committed. He says a countywide general election typically costs the county around $100,000. However, he adds this special election could be less due to just one item on the ballot. However, Hauser adds it's difficult to predict the potential voter turnout of a special election. For a school referendum, they're usually pretty high. For Iowa Western, they were pretty low. Um, and this one, well, the, the people that are campaigning for Plan 3 are working very hard yeah. to get voters out. So we don't know. That's why when I was discussing with Christy this morning, how many ballots should we order? 40,000, 20,000? I don't know. If Plan 2 or 3 should pass, Wilbur says the maps drawn up by the redistricting commission would be good until 2031 when they would begin a 10-year cycle of redrawing their districts using the previous year's census numbers. Hauser adds any changes or combining polling locations are included in the three required publications of the polling locations in the local paper and on the county website. State officials are hoping more KMA Land counties join a program assisting veterans and families. Officials with Iowa Workforce Development's Home Base Iowa program extolled its virtues at Wednesday's Fremont County Board of Supervisors meeting. Created in 2014, Home Base Iowa is a public-private partnership connecting veterans with resources and opportunities and supporting businesses across the state hiring and assisting veterans. Jason Shaquin is Home Base Iowa's program manager. Shaquin says the state's goal is to have all 99 counties sign on to the program's community component by the end of the year. Basically, when we're out there recruiting on a national level saying, hey, Iowa is a place where we want you to work, live, and play. We want to say, hey, Fremont County you know, is offering this um, for those veterans interested in living here. Jaquin outlined the requirements for counties to join the program. First, the county's Board of Supervisors must pass a resolution of support for Home Base Iowa. I've yet to present to a county Board of Supervisors that wasn't um, overwhelmingly supportive. I mean, this is just a really cool way for us to say Hey, we recognize that there's been a service to us as a society that veterans have made, and we simply want to return those services to you. Secondly, Chaquin says 10% of the county's businesses must support the program, something he says is already covered. 
Third, the county must offer incentive packages to veterans. The most meaningful incentives that we've seen to date are things like relocation support, home purchasing support. So for instance, the state of Iowa offers a $5,000 grant right now for veterans that purchase a home. So a lot of communities will add an additional grant onto that. In addition to providing a map where home base Iowa signs are placed in the county, it must also hold a dedication ceremony signifying the county's HBI involvement. No action was taken on the proposal. Chaquin says he would provide copies of possible resolutions for consideration at future board meetings. Mills County's Board of Supervisors heard a similar presentation Tuesday morning, as did the Page County Supervisors Thursday evening. The war of words continues in the Page County Courthouse over minutes. Meeting in regular session Thursday evening, the Page County Board of Supervisors, along with a handful of residents, deliberated for more than an hour on whether discussion points should be included in the official meeting minutes. As early as January, Supervisors Chair Jacob Holmes and Supervisor Todd Maher had asked the Auditor's Office, which offers to take minutes for the meetings, not to include discussion, but instead just was required by Iowa Code, including the results of votes and what items were discussed. While wanting to avoid dragging out the minutes debate, Holmes believes too much that when they do include discussion, the minutes lose their objectivity due to choosing what discussion items or perspectives are included or not in the document. I don't want any of this. I just want it over with. I want to just go back to the code minutes and eliminate all this because of the problem we're having. If somebody can't be, if, if we can't keep our minutes from being not objective, then we have to go back to the code. We can't add extra unless we can add extra appropriately. Objectively. I keep saying that word, but that's what it has to be. And we've done that. We've had lots of minutes that are objective. I'm not saying your minutes weren't objective for 30 years. I'm saying right now we've had a batch that aren't. Holmes added there have also been some minutes published online before the board's approval, including minutes from the June 1st meeting, which were not sent to the board before being sent to the local paper. However, Supervisor Judy Clark says a 1982 Attorney General opinion does allow the auditor to have control over the minutes. Additionally, an internal memo from County Attorney Carl Songson, obtained by KMA News, says the auditor's office has been operating with Iowa Code and the AG opinion. After expressing some frustration over how her input is received from other board members, Clark says they need to include as much information as possible in the minutes. You've got to have information in the minutes. You think they're slanted. I don't think they're slanted. You may think they're slanted or you may think they're not slanted. It just depends on who you are. But to, have, way to have but to have the information in there is what's important. Clark adds the free-for-all public comment throughout the meeting rather than a, simply in a public comment period has also not made it easy to summarize board discussions or conduct business efficiently. Mayher offered a compromise saying discussion could be included in the minutes, but at the next meeting, board members could offer what they believe should be added or removed from the document when they are up for approval. If Jacob says something and Jacob says, well, that didn't get mentioned, I want this in the minutes, I don't have a problem with that. Right. If Judy says something and she goes, I want this in the minutes, just so I have, we have a record of it, I don't have a problem with that. I think that's and great. And I think we that's can great. meet middle yes. ground. We can. But at the same time, we have to also understand that, hey, you know what, this is... I don't feel like this needs to be in there. The board also heard public comments from multiple residents, both for and against, including discussion. Clarinda resident Brad Richards, who is a retired administrative law judge, says Chapter 21 of the Iowa Code lays out what should be included in minutes for an official meeting to remain objective. The minutes shall show the result of each vote taken and information sufficient to indicate the vote 
of each member present. The vote of each member present shall be made public at the open session. The minutes shall be public records open to public inspection. Not once did it say all discussion. However, Richards believes that indicating the supervisor's vote requires at least some discussion explaining why they voted the way they did on an item to provide necessary information to the public. County resident Ryan Erskowski says all too often, both sides of the discussion aren't represented in the minutes. All Jacob is saying is, if you can't get both sides of the discussion, then you don't put it in there. And I have proven time and time again where not all of the discussion is in the minutes it's factual you can watch the videos you can go there and then you can look at the minutes no action was taken on the minutes presented for approval and the board plans to revisit them next week montgomery county residents and others in kma land have until the end of this month to apply for a new tax credit aimed at senior citizens Montgomery County Assessor Shirley Dalton told the county's Board of Supervisors Tuesday morning it's been standing room only in her office as residents are flocking to the courthouse to apply for a new homestead tax credit. During the 2023 session, the Iowa legislature approved House File 718. Backed by Governor Kim Reynolds, the bill established the tax credit for senior citizens aged 65 and older living in their own homes. It's our understanding that it's going to work much like the military credit has worked. It will be $3,250 off of the assessed value before they start figuring taxes. And that will go in effect for the two. 2023 tax year, which will show up on the taxes in September of 24. Dalton says the credit increases to $6,500 the following year. Application forms are available in the county assessor's office. We're trying to get both husband and wife to sign if they are both 65. That way, should something happen to one or the other of them, they don't have to worry about signing up again. Though the legislature approved the tax credit, all of the funding comes from county coffers without backfill from state funds. That raises the ire of Supervisor's Chair Mike Olson. Usually, in the past, when they do something like this, they would backfill 60, 70, 80 percent of it. Maybe, I don't know about 100, but I know that they would backfill some of it, but they've decided not to quit doing that too. So is that the third or fourth that we've taken? In the last six months. Residents have until July 1st to apply for the credit. Anyone with questions should contact the Montgomery County Assessor's Office at 712-623-4171. Outdoor pools are a popular summer destination for KMA land residents. This week we visited Nebraska City's facility at the first stop on the KMA Summer Pool Series. As is the case most summer days, the Steinhardt Aquatic Center was packed with swimmers Monday afternoon. Nick Schmidt is Nebraska City's Park and Recreation Director. Schmidt tells KMA News business has been brisk since the pool opened for the 2023 season Memorial Day weekend. And Schmidt hopes the pool's eighth season will top what was a blockbuster 2022 season in terms of attendance. Last year we had record year uh, with revenue. Of course, we had a summer with no rain, so we didn't close the doors very often um, at all to speak of. So. Um, we have had a few times where we've had to close up this spring already with thunderstorms in the area, but 
uh, through and through. Uh, our numbers are strong. Schmidt says the pool draws patrons from other areas besides Nebraska City. It's not uncommon to drive through the parking lot here on a daily basis and see cars from Iowa, uh, Nemaha County, Richardson County, uh, Omaha, Lincoln. Um, we do draw a lot from those communities, um, and we're fortunate for that, and we appreciate their business. So it's a good thing. Opened in 2016, the facility replaced the previous pool dating back to the 1970s. Voters passed a half-cent sales tax in November 2014 to finance the $4.6 million aquatic center's construction. Like other modern pools, the facility offers popular amenities such as water slides, a teardrop near the zero-depth entry, and diving boards. One unique feature is a lazy river component where swimmers float with or without inner tubes along a current-propelled loop. Tori Ward is an aquatic center mainstay. Now in her 16th year, Ward serves as the pool's manager. Having worked at the previous antiquated facility, Ward says there's no comparison with the new pool. The old pool, I mean, we had the Olympic, the 50s lanes, and then we had the 25, but we really had our diving boards. And towards the end, we didn't even have a baby pool because that didn't work. So being able to have all these features and have different areas for kids to go in has really been, there really is no comparison between the two pools at this point. Edward says the pool's amenities coupled with young and old swimmers and families who frequent the facility make it a fun place to work. I see a lot more people. I see grandmas coming out for the first time. I mean I've been here for 16 years and I see people that never came out before uh, just because we didn't have zero entry so they weren't able to get in as easily and so I see a lot more generational families come out um, all together and spend time together. Nebraska City Steinhardt Aquatic Center is open daily from 1 to 8 p.m. except on days when it closes due to swim meets. Adult lap swimming is also available from noon to 1 p.m. The pool's 2023 season runs through August 6th. For more information, check the Steinhardt Aquatic Center's website, and there's a link with a web story at kmaland.com, where you can also view a video version of this story. There was other good news for pool enthusiasts this week as Shenandoah's Wilson Aquatic Center opened on Friday. Meanwhile, the long, long, long wait for Glenwood pool enthusiasts is almost over. June 12th is the tentative opening date after repairs to a series of problems which kept the pool closed all last summer and delayed this year's swimming season past Memorial Day weekend. Glenwood City Administrator Amber Farnan tells KMA News contractors returned to the pool in April after a new series of problems were discovered. Once those repairs were done, we noticed there was something else going on with the pool because we were still losing water. We opened up a couple spots and found that there were cracks in the supply line um, that goes to the deep end. We fixed one of those cracks and then saw that we still had water. So then we took a video camera and snaked down the rest of that pipe and found another crack about 100 foot away from the first crack. So we opened that up and got that fixed. Farnan says Monday's opening date was set after testing the repairs of the pool's equipment late last week. Everything was turned on on Friday. Um, we had the play feature on, the pumps were running, and everything was looking really good. So I met down there with Public Works and also with the YMCA because we partner with them to help manage the pool. And we decided that we could probably open on June 12th, depending on weather, because they have to pour a bunch of concrete and let that set. Once the facility open, hours for the 2023 season are daily from 1 to 8 p.m. until August 21st, then 26th and 27th, and September is 2nd through the 4th from 1 to 5 p.m. Information regarding season passes is available from the City of Glenwood's website. Efforts to improve child care in the East Mills School District received a boost from a major benefactor this week. Recently, East Mills Child Care Solutions received a $1 million grant from the Charles E. Lakin Foundation. 
Funding from the grant will cover a portion of the cost of renovating a former nursing home in Malvern into a state-of-the-art child care center at 905 North 2nd Street. Megan Schnorr is the organization's president. Schnorr told KMA News East Mills Child Care Solutions was formed in July of last year to meet the great demand for services to children and families. As you know, East Mills doesn't have uh, before and after care. Uh, we also lack three-year preschool, and we don't have a lot of options for summer child care. And so East Mills Child Care Solutions is a group of volunteers. We put together a, a nonprofit, and we're parents ourselves. We're community members. We're advocates. And we are hoping to bring some, some solutions to our, our child care needs. Shore says the former nursing home provides 18,000 square feet. That wraps up this week in KMA Lab. Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. And for more information all the time, log on to KMALand.com, where you can also hear this program in its entirety. From the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend.